Amen. Let's hope we're real. So just to say before we start, um, tough subject about suffering. Why does God allow suffering and how do we respond to that? We'd like to just say that we are not here to, we can't answer every single question. There's still a lot of mystery to it. Also, we'd just like to say we hope that nothing we would say, because we hope God has um, uh, inspired what we've done, is that you don't feel we're glib about anything, because there will be people here really struggling through some different stuff or have done. So I hope you would never feel that we are trying to give any glib answers as we do that. So first thing, though, we're going to give something for you. If we could have our first slide up, please. You've got 30 seconds with the person next to you. In one word, what is your reaction to the word suffering? Very quickly. Okay, I think that's plenty of time for one word. So just hold on to that. And then just, you're not going to share this with the person next to you, but just for a moment, pause and think, what does what I just said tell me how I see God and the character of God? Just for a moment, hold that for yourself. What does that, my reaction say to me? Oh, what picture of God have I got if I think that? Okay, we're not going to ask you to share that particularly, but hold on to that as we go through. Now, Holes is going to start us off with some stuff. <laughs> some stuff. I've got some stuff for you guys. Um, so, yeah, my name's Holly, and um, I'm on a team here. And a couple of years ago, I took a few students from Trinity um, with a few students from a church in London, and we went to Kenya. And this was my first experience going um, that far. And it was a beautiful experience. We went into right into the heart of um, the Loiter Hills, which is a really rural part of Kenya. And it's stunningly beautiful. And the time of year that we went was in rainy season. And it meant that... Um, in, in any, any way, when it's an extreme of weather, it has a massive impact on the community. And when we were there, we saw roads changed into lakes. We saw airstrips changed into really muddy fields, which meant that la- uh, air- aircraft couldn't land. And so um, what we were seeing at every turn was the effects of um, the rain. We were seeing houses being desecrated because of the power of the rain. And we were seeing and hearing stories of um, people not being able to get to clean water or not being able to get enough food. And it was devastating. And we came back feeling outrage. And I was completely undone. Coming back, just I have no idea how to respond to this. But at the same time, our faith level rose. And one of the reasons for that is because there was a saying that they said so often that it, just, it was just in our brains. We couldn't get rid of it. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It's in his nature. Wow. And they'd say that time and time again. And it really did bury itself into our hearts. When we think of suffering, we often think of outrage. I don't know what some of your words might have been. It might have been anger. We were talking about this earlier this week. Nikki was saying that anger is one of her responses. If you turn on the news and you see 
Ukraine and what's going on there. If you hear about what's going on with the cost of living rising and having a massive impact on those who have the least in our society. What about if a friend comes to you and says, I'm, I'm battling with cancer now? For us, as human beings, we feel this gut-wrenching, why? And part of that is because life is precious, life is sacred, life matters. And that's important for us to realize. And the prominent view around us is secularism. And in secularism, we see that um, any kind of suffering is something that is uh, in the way. It's not meaningful, and it's nothing more than an interruption. And that leads to escapism and trying to avoid those feelings. And so YouTube becomes really interesting, and we just keep flicking down those reels. And it's really easy to binge on things, to try and keep our minds fixed somewhere else. But the Christian worldview, life with Jesus, gives us a way of processing these things gives us a way of processing our questions, our doubts, our grief, our pain, our loss. It doesn't minimize the suffering in any way. It's not just have a bit more faith, please. It's not just a bit more positive thinking. It's not power through. It's an invitation to walk through life with Jesus, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For I will fear no evil for you are with me. A powerful line from Psalm 23. See, life with Jesus isn't sanitized. It's messy, but there's hope. And no one who has spent any time looking at this topic can give you a neatly, picked, uh, neatly packaged answer to any of this. It can't be solved with logic. So what we're going to do is hopefully give you a bit of a flavor and we're probably going to ignite some more questions in you. And that's good. Don't feel that's a, that's a negative thing. We want you to be questioning more. Because as we walk with Jesus, he's not afraid of our questions. This is part of the reason why we're doing this whole series. Big questions with Jesus. He doesn't shy away from them. He doesn't get angry with us. Walking with him, walking with one another, encouraging one another to stand firm with Jesus is the invitation. And so the more we grapple with this question and the more we journey with him, the more we see his goodness, the more we see his heart, the more we see his love. And the closer we get to being able to declare in every circumstance, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It's in his nature. Wow. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take us through um, a bit of the journey of the history of the world. It's not going to be a long one, I promise. Um, and we're going to look at creation, the fall, and further beyond. And then Nikki is going to take us on into, well, how do we actually walk with Jesus through this? So Genesis 1 and 2, creation. 
creation. So we know that God created the world and the universe to be good. He said it is good. And then he created humanity in his image. He breathed life into humanity. And in Genesis 1 verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. He set up this blueprint for creation. And this blueprint included perfect relationships. Because at the very heart of the nature of God is perfect relationship. You will have, might have noticed in that last slide that it says, let us make them in our image. The Trinity, three in one. So we were made to have perfect relationship. And we were made to have four key perfect relationships. And they're going to come up now. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationship with ourselves, perfect relationship with creation, and perfect relationship with others. And in amongst all of those relationships, there is no room for jealousy. There is no room for arrogance. There is no room for comparison. And who we know God to be is love. We see it all the way through scripture, that God is love. And so we are to reflect that because we're made in his image. But to love, you can't be forced to love. So he had to give us freedom. So he gave us free will and choice. And God takes our choices really, really seriously. And in him doing that, it reveals to us part of the character of God. And that is that God is our creator, not our controller. He is our creator, not our controller. So we've looked at creation. That's phase one. We're going to move into phase two, Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is often called the fall. We're going to call it decreation. Decreation. Decreation happened because sin cuts in like a spear. There's a moment in um, Genesis 3 where we see the turning of disobedience. So from obedience into disobedience. And Martin Luther, who is a theologian in the Reformation, talks about sin being like a light turned in on itself. We were created to worship God and to be in orbit around him. For him to be at the center and for us to be worshiping him. But sin puts us at the center. So what I need, what I want to achieve, what my longings are become the priority. And you times that by close to a billion people. And no wonder there is suffering and pain hurt and grief. So what we see is this blueprint wasn't stuck to because of that freedom. And so those four perfect relationships become damaged. And it has a big effect. And Tim Keller, who is a fantastic author and um, preacher over in the States, 
He says, once human beings turned from God, there were only two alternatives. Immediate destruction or a path that led to redemption through great loss, grief and pain for human beings and for God himself. So we were made in God's image and he loved us so much that he wanted us to be restored. But we continue in Genesis and we see Genesis 6, that there is so much wickedness and evil in the world that it broke his heart. It ached, there was outrage, there was sadness. So because we've been given the capacity to love, God takes our choices seriously. And that's where we ended up. And Genesis 11 carries on. And now we have a city being built physically to have themselves at the center. They wanted the kingdom without the king. But God had a plan. Phase three, recreation. Genesis 12, we meet a guy called Abram. His name changes to Abraham. God gives him promises at the beginning of his life and fulfills them beautifully. Exodus from slavery in Egypt. There are so many stories of God restoring and pulling through on his promises because that's who our God is. And we keep going and going and going until we get to Matthew 1, to a genealogy, a beautiful genealogy that ends with a guy called Joseph, who then has a son called Jesus. Gift to the world, King of kings, Lord of lords, fully God, fully human. And in Jesus' life, he breathes out the character of God. He breathes it out um, in power over nature. He speaks and the waves and storm calms in Luke 5. He speaks and the shame of the woman at the well who had been shunned by society because of the actions that she had made is suddenly released into freedom and runs towards the very people she was avoiding. And her shame had gone. Disease and illness was healed time and time again. And then towards the end of his life, he experiences suffering in a way that is gut-wrenching. In Mark 14, verse 34, it says, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And in Luke 22, Jesus felt anguish so greatly that he sweated blood as he prayed. And in his death and his resurrection, he breathes out into us the new life of God and the beautiful promise in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says that anyone who believes in Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. See, there was purpose in Jesus' suffering. It wasn't meaningless. It wasn't an interruption. There's purpose there. 
It's not to be escaped or avoided, but to be taken seriously to the point where he still has the scars. Tim Keller says, Jesus saved us, not in spite of, but because of what he endured on the cross. And in Hebrews, a book a bit later in the New Testament, the writer says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Because life with us is something that he finds true joy in. And we are still in that time of recreation. This third phase, this is where we are. And God has so much more for us to learn. The blueprint is still there. And the whole of creation is groaning for it to come into fruition. It's, it's, it's desperate for it to come. And at the end of time, there's going to be a renewal of all things, a new heaven and a new earth, where, if you look at Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So suffering isn't to be minimized. It's not something for us to avoid, to shove in a corner, try and power through, or something we need to just have more faith to get through. But we're invited into a beautiful walk with Jesus that redeems it and restores because the heart of God is that of a redeemer, a healer, a friend, a father. So Nikki, how are we invited to walk through our suffering with our God? Right, so suffering's basically going to happen, isn't it? Because we have a broken world, as, as Holly has explained. We have, to quote my husband, battles and blessings all at the same time. And Jesus told us that there will be trouble. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that, they, that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we believe the promises of God, don't we? So there's a promise there that actually there's going to be trouble. So it's something that's part of our everyday life because of the fall. So what on earth is our response to it? Because we're dealing with pain. And it can be directly our own pain, things happening in our own lives. Or it could be the pain of others. And as we said, as we look around our world, we see things. And that can be a real pain for us, either a other people far away in the world, what's happening to them, or somebody else we know of in our own lives. It's a bewildering world because it is this battle and blessing at the same time. But God calls us to trust him through all of it. In the last book of the Bible, he promises that one day suffering will be over. Already we've heard he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death, sorrow, crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. So we, that is another promise we have from God. There's trouble now, but ultimately there will be no pain again. Now, a key thing I see, and I'm sure you see when you read the Bible, is lament, people pouring out what is on their hearts to God. And then we see him coming alongside them, lamenting with them. We have a God who enters into our grief and our sorrow. 
for the brokenness of the world. He sees, he cares, and he hears. Moses, first time he hears God speak to him in the burning bush, uh, says God says he's seen the misery of the Israelites as in Egypt as slaves, and he's going to do something about it. Jesus, who was fully God and man all at the same time, wept. The shortest sentences of the Bible is he wept, or Jesus wept, when his friend Lazarus died. It was true weeping. We've heard in the Garden of Gethsemane as well that he felt sorrow to the point of death. And of course, when he was crucified on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I, I, when I watched you know, the, the striking of the physical pain he went through, but actually it was worse, the worst pain for him was being completely cut off from the father because he did what his father did. So I hope that knowing that God is not immune to our pain and, and so on, is that that can encourage us to talk honestly with God ourselves because then we have relationship with him. And relationship is what he desires most with us. We get to face things with him, the creator of the universe. And we can receive comfort from him because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we can have his counsel hearing what he has to say. When we're going through these times, we will realize what we're truly thinking about the situation if we're honest with him. How it's affecting us, how we're viewing his part in it and asking for help through the Holy Spirit. The counselor, another promise. Jesus promised to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with us through this. It is a journey. Um, Andrew's mentioned this a few times. This is my chance to say, but probably the hardest thing that he and I both had to live through together was trying to have children. And obviously God, and then ultimately blessed us with two gorgeous daughters. Um, But that was quite a journey. And if I'm honest with you, um, I did shout quite a few rude words at God. <laughs> he took it from me. And I learned that actually he kindly listens um, as you um, rant and rave at him. I had a friend who, while we were still trying to conceive children, who gave me Isaiah 43, which talks about forgetting the former things. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not see it? And I remember actually going, no, I don't see it. I still stuck it on my pin board, and it was there. And a year later, I was pregnant with our first daughter. And then there yeah, so was a roller coaster of all kinds of things in there. And I learned that um, I'm, I'm, what I learned really was that I'm not the center of the universe. I had questions. I realized I questioned why I didn't deserve a baby, and X, Y, Z did deserve a baby. I realized that I judged whether other people deserved a baby more than me. All these kind of things I learned about myself and I learned to get on my knees and pray to God about it. And then when we were coming towards the end um, of, and the beginning to think that maybe we wouldn't have our own children, um, I'd nearly got to the point of accepting that, but then we fell pregnant with Rachel. Um, and in Psalm 42, it says, he pulled me out of the slimy pit and put me on a rock. And so that has been a very important psalm for me. So we see lament in a lot of places, actually, in the Bible. There's a whole book called Lamentations. So if you really want to delve into that, you can um, read that. And um, N.T. Wright, a theologian, I love the way he describes it. He says it's as if the bottom has dropped out of the writer's world. It was about the destruction of Jerusalem. But we see it all the way through, lots of different places where people have gone to God and gone, this is not right, this is not great, I'm not enjoying this at all, mate. 
Um, and one in particular, you probably may have heard of a book called Job. There's a lot of suffering in there. Poor Job, he loses his whole family. At some point, he's covered in boils. It's a pretty awful time going on. Um, and he speaks honestly to God, and he speaks directly to him in his distress. In chapter 3, he says, Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden from whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Now there's honesty, isn't it? And he's giving it full blast to God, the creator of the universe. He's got friends and counselors around him trying to help out, but they basically give him really quite pat religious statements and they talk about God. They don't talk to God. And then eventually God does respond to Job. But when he does, he doesn't condemn Job and he doesn't humiliate him. So as I say, when my experience of what we went through, I shouted and screamed at him. God didn't um, then condemn me or sort of shut me out because, you know, how dare you say that to me? He listened. And in Job, he then comes back with rhetorical questions, those questions that aren't actually answers for him to come back with. But he shows his goodness, his sovereignty, his power, and his loving care. And through this, Job's eyes are opened, and he sees who God is properly for the first time. Job replies in one part, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you should answer me. My ears had heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job sees the bigger picture. He sees beyond what he can just initially see in his own situation. He truly sees God as he is for the first time. What an amazing journey. And then in the Bible, we also have the Psalms, um, 150 of them, all of human experience in there. So if you wonder if anything's in the Bible about how you're feeling, have a look at Psalms because I'm sure you will find it in there. And again, you've got people, writers pouring out their heart to God and then meeting God in a new way appreciating his love and his mercy, even if they don't see the full picture. So they will still hold on to those truths that they they know about God. And it's amazing, isn't it, that we have these writings in our holy book called the Bible. Because if you wanted to persuade people this was worth following, you could have cut those things out. But actually, they're in there. And we believe the Bible is God-breathed. A few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, can you trust the Bible? It's God-breathed, and these writings are in here. So just think, again, just relate back to how you, at the beginning, we asked you, how do you see God? What kind of character does he have? What nature does does he have? Perhaps you think, um, I have a habit of slipping into this kind of thinking, and I know it comes from my upbringing, um, was that it's like God's got two bags. He's got a lovely big bag for the good stuff, and he's got a lovely big bag of bad stuff. And what he does is he, like, oh, you know, yeah, here's a few things out of the good Oh, hang on a minute. Good one's getting it. I think you ought to have a little bit of bad as well. Come on, let's just throw that in because you've you've had enough good. I wonder if you ever have that kind of thinking. I certainly find myself battling with that kind of thinking. Oh, it's time that you, Nikki, had a bit of stuff to sort out. Battles and blessings all at the same time. But not because he's portioning out the good and bad, but because we live in a broken and bewildering world since that fall. Our God is good. He is sovereign. He is faithful. 
He does respect our choices, our free will, and he walks with us. Hebrews 13, 5, one of the books later on in the New Testament says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That doesn't promise that nothing bad is going to happen, but he says, I will never leave you. I said just a moment ago, we see reflected in the Psalms people worshipping, even if they, uh, things, uh, they haven't got the full answer they were looking for. And so worship is another important thing for us. Whatever way for you that is, okay, to worship. And worship means to give God his value. For me, it might not surprise you that it's music, if you've noticed me. Um, and um, songs, uh, worship songs are incredibly important to me. And as you know, I'll tell you that when those dark times of us going backwards and forwards um, to Aylesbury and here, we used to whack on the worship tunes that be very loudly. But in those um, first few months we were here, um, I was still working part-time in Aylesbury. So half the week... Um, I was in Aylesbury. Naomi was with me because she was at, um, doing her sixth form. We'd trot off on a Sunday night, blasting our worship things. Um, I'd sleep on a mattress pulled out from under the bed, age 50-something. She'd have to put up with my snoring. I'd get, mum, snoring, all this kind of thing. Um, it was quite tough, leaving husband behind in the house, trying to get into a new church family, giving up my old church family, wondering what on earth was going on, how long I could do this. I then got a, um, did get a job, um, which was really hard to do at the time, which then led to a brilliant job. But through those times, one song became like a psalm for me because we sang it a lot here. And I sang this through gritted teeth, crying, holding on to I knew God had been faithful before, but um, I didn't quite see what was going to happen. But anyway, and it is do it again. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. And I sang that even when I wasn't sure what was going on. I, I just sang it. I gritted my teeth. And, of course, now when I sing it, I kind of praise God because I can see that he was holding my hand as we was walking around those walls. And if anyone sort of thinks, if, you know, um, when they went around the walls of Jericho blasting their trumpets to get the walls to fall, it uh, refers back to that. So what happens to us when we go through these times, reading our Bible, lamenting, praying, worshipping? Again, N.T. Wright has a wonderful um, way of saying this. He says, the Father and the Spirit are shaping us according to the pattern of the Son. And in Romans 5, we have um, a few verses. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. And this pain can actually be a sign of warning, can't it? It can stop us from fully burning a finger on a fire. So perhaps pain sometimes um, tells us something's going on. And that puts us again in a place where we can be transformed and we come to God. And God can work good through it. So we do have a bit of a crunch choice. Do we hold bitterness inwards? Or do we let it out to God, knowing that God is perfectly capable of coping with it? Many of you here are too young to remember this, but in the early 1980s, we had our, um, the big famine in Ethiopia. And it was the first time that we'd ever heard about a famine. So we hear, unfortunately, we hear a lot now. But it was the first time we'd had it on our... There was no social media in the 1980s. It was all on the TV and in the, in the, in the newspapers. 
And I particularly remember the news reporter standing in the desert with these people around him who were starving and dying. And he said, what would you like us to do? And their answer was, please pray for us. And it just, you know, they hadn't given up on God. They didn't seem to be blaming God as such, but they said, please pray for us. He believed it was worth still praying. And some of you may also know of a very well-known Christian woman, Jodie Erickson Tarda, who's a paraplegic because she dived into a, um, a stream and broke her neck. And when she writes, obviously she's not saying she particularly wanted that to happen, except that she now has a relationship with God she's never had before. And I once met a paraplegic in Aylesbury because we had the um, Stoke Mandeville Hospital there who basically said the same thing. His life was awful, but actually now he knew God through what had happened to him. Now, I'm not saying we brush the pain under the carpet. Well, you know, others are worse than me. It's not important enough for God. Papering over the difficulties and the struggles. But bringing it out into the open with God and seeing it within the big picture of the kingdom, we can allow God's work in us and to move forward. Of course, it's not just about us, is it? It's about those around us. And we all have a part to play in God's work, redeeming and restoring his kingdom now as well as fully in the future. So this isn't just about, oh, we're going to do this, and one, yes, obviously one day there'll be no tears, but the kingdom is here now, although not fully yet. And again, another promise from Jesus in 14, John 14, 12, he said, his followers would do even greater things than him through the Spirit. In Micah 6, 8, which we as a church looked at in detail a couple of years ago, he said, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We are the body of Christ, and if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. So we here in this church family are walking with each other, praying, supporting, maybe just walking beside, perhaps sharing some wisdom. And then God works through us through prayer and practicality. So when sometimes we cry out, oh God, God, what is going on? Why doesn't this change? Maybe it might have something to do with us as well. It might be that we need to forgive because that breaks the cycle of hurt and revenge. And so much, you know, especially war around this world is because people are just getting their revenge the whole time. And of course, the way we live our lives, affecting the climate, sharing our resources, fighting injustice. Not to be overwhelmed, but to ask God, where are you leading me to work with you? When we join in with God, we see good, even miraculous things happen some of the time. And it, but it may not be all the time, but each time we do, it's a signpost to the new creation. So we can be signposts to that new creation and that new future. So we're going to pray in a moment. If, if the band would like to start coming back up, just go back again, that thinking. Who is our God and what is he like? What do I think his nature is? Because that will affect how we cope with these things. He is good. He is sovereign. He's on the throne. He's faithful and he respects our choices, our free will. And he shares in our sufferings, which brings hope. Because Jesus suffered and died on the cross and he rose again and he will return and there will be no tears. So God is good all the time. All the time, God is good because it's in his nature. Wow. Amen. So.
if we can say some prayer, Mr. Dean.